Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, is going to be in the house coming up tomorrow afternoon. It is a Sunday afternoon affair. It's a must-win in terms of the playoff picture for the Colts against the Steelers tomorrow. Omar Ruiz of the NFL Network, he joins us now. Hey, Omar, thank you for the time. How you doing? Hey, no problem. It's good to be back in Indy for a game day. Of course, we're here every year for the Combine and love that experience. But Lucas Oil, when it's packed, when there's a big game like it's going to be tomorrow afternoon, playoffs on the line and six and seven seed going at it, there's nothing like it, and I'm, I'm excited for it. Hey, Omar, have you heard about what else is going on? you got so much going on because opposite of your game, of I guess we could say our game because I'll be there too, is you got Arizona and Purdue at Gambridge Fieldhouse. I mean, you got everything going on here in Indy downtown tomorrow. It's going to yeah. be a hellaciously exciting, exciting time here tomorrow. Well, I looked at that because whenever I come to town, I look to see what Purdue's schedule is. I look to see what Indiana's schedule is. Maybe I can catch a game. I've seen a Pacers yep. game uh, a few times over the years, um, but, but I would love to get to Assembly Hall and, or see a game at Purdue. And, and so I looked at their schedules, and I saw that they're facing Arizona. What a big matchup. And the kickoff is at the same time as tips. <laughs> it's just remarkable. But, that's, yes. but, hey, that's what we always say, people that – that love coming to Indianapolis for the sports scene and the big events. You always get that here in Indy when, you know, obviously when it's combine time, it's, it's close to, you know, it's Pacers season, it's college hoops. And I've been here for big 10 basketball tournaments. And, and obviously uh, Indy's reputation um, is one of the best in America for hosting sports. And, and that'll be on full display tomorrow. Omar, you got IU and Kansas down in Bloomington to get everything started at noon tomorrow, too. So it's not bad around here sports-wise. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that, again, that's I, I, my dad went to UCLA, and he was there at the tail end of the uh, John Wooden era. And so, you know, I grew up a huge uh, college hoops fan, um, and, and obviously that is so important to the people here in Indiana. And I went to San Diego State, which has become a, somewhat of a powerhouse in the last few years, I went to Syracuse for grad school, and obviously that's been a powerhouse. So college hoops very important to me. And so, again, you know, Assembly Hall and, and all that is uh, on the bucket list. And one of these years I'll be making it happen. You still uh, still excited about San Diego State, the way they ramped in the Final Four in the tournament a year ago? Because I'll tell you, Dusty May of Florida Atlantic it went to high school. I went to high school with him, good friend of mine. And I am still rather bummed about that, like, half-inch situation between winning and losing if you remember down the stretch in that game it was incredible in that national semifinal uh, it was crazy but you know obviously one of the highlights of my sports life I remember watching you know I was there in Houston and, and when uh, Butler yep. makes that shot just going absolutely bonkers and and somebody caught it on on video it kind of went viral and um, you know I was there in school right before Steve Fisher got there and they won four games and then and then, then five, and then, you know, my junior year, they, they went 500. And then the last year, they had a winning record, but we're still a five seed in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. They won the tournament my senior year. They get to the big dance. They get blown out by Frank Williams and Luther Head at Illinois in Chicago. Yeah. But to, to see the program 
go from those heights or those depths to the heights of a, of a national championship game is still so surreal. And I went to a game in Arizona a couple of weeks ago. They played Grand Canyon University, which, you know, I think is, is very new to Division One, and, and they beat the Aztecs and they rushed the court. So to be part of the school when they won four games – and then to now be a school that people rush the court for, it's still surreal. And obviously the national championship loss was disappointing, but when you consider it in the big picture perspective, a pretty remarkable at the same time. Well, you know, and Omar, too, you know Bryce Drew's the head coach of Grand Canyon, of course, with uh, Hoosier State Roots up in Valparaiso. So it all, yeah, in an end-around way, it all kind of makes sense with Omar Ruiz. He's going to be on the sideline for the NFL Network for the Steelers and the Colts tomorrow. Um, I mentioned this as I brought you in here, Omar, must win that I have tabbed this. I do this a lot, too, but certainly tomorrow. In terms of wanting ha- to have a realistic chance of going to the postseason, seems like both of these teams are sitting in that particular category for this game tomorrow afternoon aren't they yeah and i think they're embracing it you rarely hear these teams during you know mid-december talk about the playoff games and the sense of urgency and all that you know you hear mostly cliches but i think these teams realize not only are they clinging to those playoff spots there the six and seven seed in the afc playoff picture but i think they realize all those other seven and six teams on the outside looking in, and some of them, like maybe Buffalo or Denver, here the last few weeks, you know, have the chance to surge, and so they cannot let any opportunity, uh, the Colts and the Steelers, um, you know, let let one slip away. And, and obviously, uh, the Steelers coming in with backup quarterback, and you know, didn't look too impressive last week with Trubisky. This is one that the Colts have to have, you know, especially playing at home on, on a short week, uh, technically. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I think the thing I appreciate is, again, that they're both embracing it and uh, the, the stakes and the magnitude of the game itself. Hey, Omar, it's interesting coming from Pittsburgh, and there may have been just a little bit of heat before, and, and this this was coming from a place, I think it's uh, the uh, longtime sports talk show host, and, you know, as uh, we have a morning show host at Coles, dudes like that gas bags he's probably the gassiest of the gas bags of all time and mark madden earlier this week that was calling for the ouster of mike tomlin um is that just a lone voice in that market regarding the steelers head coach or has that magnified over where we have have come this season in terms of how the folks the fans and the the steeler nation and pittsburgh are looking at the longtime head coach I feel like it's a lone voice. I didn't get that sense. I was a couple, I was there a couple weeks ago for that Cardinals loss, and obviously that was devastating. They were booing before halftime. Uh, a lot of the seats had emptied, you know, long before that game was over. I was there week one uh, when they got destroyed by San Francisco, um, and and I don't get the sense that you know more than you know a few people are calling for Tomlin's job. But but like you mentioned, it kind of has been warm because you look at the Steelers. Uh, postseason success, and that's one of the more glorious organizations in all of football, and, and they're ultimately judged by, by Lombardi trophies. Since they first won a playoff game in 1972, this is the longest stretch they've gone without postseason wins. They haven't won a playoff game since after the 2016 season, and so I think the patience is growing thin, and, and I don't know truly how warm Mike Tomlin's seat is, but but I think Calling for his job, I think it's few and far in between, but I think if they fizzle out again this season, we may go into next year um, fully, truly with Mike Tomlin on the hot seat. 
Omar Ruiz joins us again for the NFL Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And, and they made the, the change at offensive coordinator with Matt Canada earlier in the year. Uh, that seemingly has not helped. And now you're down from Kenny Pickett to Mitch Trubisky in that situation. They, they've got some skilled guys. Uh, Johnson and Pickens, they, they probably haven't done enough work yet to be the divas in which they have turned out to be. But certainly they are uh, diva-esque. It, but they do... They have talent there. They do. If they could just get a little bit of arm talent, you know, for a game or two, that could make a huge difference. But this offense really hasn't gotten any better whatsoever. It's still one of the worst that we have seen to this point of the season, is it not? I think that's what adds to the whole frustration surrounding the Steelers' offense is that if you look at the skill players across the board, Najee Harris and Jalen Warren and Pat Fryermuth and you mentioned Deontay Johnson and yep. and George Pickens and and they still are not producing and they they got a taste of it against the Bengals they finally went over 400 yards of offense for the first time since the 2020 season and then they go right back to disappointment in that Cardinals game and I think that's what led to such yeah. um, you know out outspoken frustration in that locker room was they finally had the hope back that the offense could do something. They were still looking to score points because they only scored 16 in that game against Cincinnati, and they took a giant step backwards. Now, you can attribute that to Kenny Pickett's injury, obviously the, the ankle injury, and he's missed, and it's a different situation uh, when you don't have you know that quarterback as well as he's played in the fourth quarter, not necessarily the entire games, but in the fourth quarter, um, you know, and they haven't been able to get things going. And, and, and I think when they made the change, moving on from Matt Canada and Eddie Faulkner taking over and Mike Sullivan, the play caller, to put 400 points on the board, I think everyone sensed that the season had turned around. And then for them to lose back-to-back to teams with two wins um, just kind of sent them back in, in spiral. And, um, and, and obviously they, they have to get it back uh, tomorrow against the Colts to, to kind of save the season. Otherwise, I think it, it might slip away from them. He is Omar Ruiz on the sideline for the Steelers and the Colts on the NFL Network tomorrow. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group pile. And a couple more things before I let you go. I, I view the Colts this season like when, when we reference the quarterback as being a game manager. You know, automatically you get some folks saying, okay, yeah, I understand it. And then others bristle because they view that as a backhanded compliment. I think the Colts are like a game manager because they can manage the schedule that they have, but they're really not that good. I mean, I think at their best at times, they're good to better than good or average. And then as we saw last week against Cincinnati, a better team, even with a backup quarterback, um, they didn't look good whatsoever. Is that a fair statement and a fair way you think to describe this Colts team to this point? I mean, they're, they're average, sometimes above average, sometimes below. They're like a game manager team-wise, are they not? <laughs> yeah, I, and I would say that's a testament to the job Shane Steichen has done in his first year because you mentioned, you know, probably that the talent is not what they want it to be. Obviously, the injuries, Jonathan Taylor's situation, uh, missing early, missing recently, um, Anthony Richardson going down and all the adversity that they've faced uh, this season to still be in the hunt, to still be actually in the playoff picture, I think, you know, goes to show a lot of what Steichen has established here in, in short order. And, and I was talking to Kenny Moore yesterday, and he just talked about how gritty uh, a lot of the players on the team are. And, you know, they, they make no excuses. They find ways to win. And, and you know, that, that might be the most important attribute in the NFL is finding ways to win. It's not always going to be pretty. And certainly the Colts, this Colts team 
um, you know, maybe not going to win pretty, but they can win, and they've, they've demonstrated that throughout the year. And I think if they can just get Jonathan Taylor back, obviously not going to be back tomorrow, but, you know, here soon, um, they have a chance. And, um, you know, he's enough of a difference maker. We've seen the, the difference makers they have defensively, you know, to get sneak into the postseason. I think that would be a, a testament, again, to, to Shane Steichen, who will probably get uh, Coach of the Year votes if that were to happen. All right, it's uh, Omar Ruiz with us. What time you guys hit the airwaves with all your content tomorrow, Omar? We'll be on at 10 o'clock Eastern, getting you set <laughs> for the Vikings and Bengals, kicking off our Saturday showdown triple header. Then, of course, after Vikings and Bengals, we'll be right there for uh, Colts Steelers and, and then end the, end the night with uh, the Lions and the Broncos. So it should be a fun day of football, and uh, can't wait to bring it to you. I should have brought you today a little bit south of where you are right now from downtown here at Whiskey Business, and we'd have got you a little tuned up in your preparation for tomorrow. Should have done that. Hey, what was hey, I thinking? Next time, keep that in mind. I'm never one to shy away from uh, from a, a Bud Light or two. I heard they're one of your sponsors. Yeah, yeah but well, we got you. Hey, let me tell you what. There's nothing quite like great preparation when you come off being a little tuned up. So it, it, it could be, it could have been the greatest broadcast of all time for you right here. So I'll have to remember that the next time you're in town. We'd love to have you. Hey, we'd be well-versed after, after what uh, goes on here at the Combine. <laughs> We're well-versed in that aspect. <laughs> Omar, I appreciate that. Have a great show, great broadcast tomorrow. We'll catch up again sometime down the road. Thank you. Okay, that sounds good. Appreciate you having me. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Pipeline, the Believe Podcasting Network. Always some great content you can find right there. And uh, he writes regarding the Steelers covering Pittsburgh and every conceivable angle of this football team. Mark Bergen, who joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. Mark, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And we could talk about how this is a loser leaves town match, but I do want to say this right from the jump. The shrimp uh-huh. at the San Elmo establishment. I know it's a steakhouse, but the shrimp is absolutely life-changing. Thank you for having me on, though, this afternoon. <laughs> now, are you here for this life-changing moment tonight or tomorrow, or are you still oh, staked out where you normally are? I, I wish. And honestly, as long as they save me a shrimp cocktail at the San Elmo and a nice slice of steak of some sort uh i i wish but indianapolis uh fantastic place and uh this game should be pretty good i mean i, I don't think anyone predicted it would be gardner Minshew versus mitch trubisky at the start of the season but here we are and both teams vying for an afc playoff spot yeah you know it's funny too if you would have propped that up at the start of the season you probably wouldn't have sold any tickets right i don't imagine <laughs> nobody would have been too thrilled with that <laughs> well, maybe maybe the family members of both quarterbacks, but <laughs> I don't know if yeah. they would an entire stadium, uh, Lucas Oil Stadium. I, I think there would be a lot of open seats if, uh, if that's what you were trying to sell uh, before the start of the season. It has been with their head above water to this point, and, and really what we witnessed last week, Mark, with the Colts in Cincinnati was even with the backup quarterback, Cincinnati with their skill position players, and, you know, a couple of guys along the defensive line, just too much for this Colts team to endure. 
What do you think about the matchup starting? And as far as Trubisky versus Minshew is concerned, all we hear is the negativity surrounding the Pittsburgh quarterback. Has there been any positive? Is there anything you can look forward to that ideally may happen, may occur tomorrow for this Pittsburgh offense? Here's where I'd put it, right? Like, you evaluate your season based on quarters, so you've got your fourth game without Matt Canada. And Mitch Trubisky is getting every opportunity to prove himself, to establish himself back in the league. You're paying him $8 million this season. He's under contract for the next two seasons after that at about 5 or $6 million. So, like, if you're paying him a premium, right, as a backup in this league, you should get premium backup results. I look at what Gardner Minshew's doing, and I'm not as familiar with the Colts as I am the Steelers, but it's like if you're paying a premium for Mitch Trubisky, the Steelers have an out with him in 2024. Given this sample size that he's had filling in for Kenny Pickett, if he can't get it done, if I'm in the Pittsburgh front office, I'm approaching it this way, right? A lot of – and we'll talk about Mike Tomlin's future with this team, a lot of speculation of what's going to happen. You bring in a new OC in the offseason, fresh blood from outside the organization. That guy tries to get Kenny Pickett right once Pickett's healthy again. And then I would say part ways with Mitch Trubisky. I mean, honestly, the, t- the clock is ticking, and he hasn't proved anything in a Pittsburgh uniform. You, get, you, you then draft a quarterback in the mid to late rounds and develop him behind Pickett because we've seen other teams do this in the league. I've seen it with Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, Brock Purdy with the 49ers, Dak Prescott back in the day with the Cowboys. You've got to see what you have at the quarterback position with Pickett on a rookie contract post Ben Roethlisberger. But like you talk about upside, that's my plan. That's my game plan and my strategy because Trubisky just has not proven himself at this point in a Steelers uniform. Mark Bergen covers the Steelers for the Believe Podcasting Network. Joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. You brought up the situation with Mike Tomlin there. The longtime, incredibly successful Steelers coach. Are things hot for him around there, or is that just maybe a single voice from a former wrestler turned sports talk show host in Pittsburgh? Where where is that situation, honestly, with the Steelers and their head coach right now? It feels a little bit different than it has in seasons past. Now, gun to my head, I do think he'll be back in the 2024 season, but he's in his 17th year. A lot of people point to the fact that he's never had a losing season, which I think is a testament to what has been a successful run in Pittsburgh. But the offense is broken. When the Steelers fired Matt Canada, they had not fired a head coach or coordinator mid-season since 1941. And so now that Canada's gone, your scapegoat there is gone, what are the things that you can do to try to fix the offense and to play football how it's played in the 21st century, in 2023 and beyond, where the league rules favor offense, they favor quarterback, and the Steelers, from an offensive standpoint, like – even if they sneak into the playoffs right now, like realistically, I know that there's no one that strikes fear in your heart in the AFC, but if they were to have to try to win a shootout where you say, hey, your offense needs to score at least 30, maybe 40 points today, the Steelers' offense isn't capable of doing that. So when I hear about Tomlin and whether he's on the hot seat, you know, it goes both ways. He's only under contract through the 2024 season. 
the Rooney family, they've been very lucky with Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, and now Tomlin. They really only change coaches every quarter century or so. But you have a new regime with Omar Khan taking over for Kevin Colbert. Uh, you've got to do some things to get this offense right. I think getting rid of Matt Canada was overdue. I don't think the Steelers should have gone into the season with him as the coordinator because you were trying to build on what you did on the back half of 2022. Everyone points to, well, oh, the Steelers were 7-2 and in their last nine games in 2022. That's where you had to start this season. And when you regress and you get absolutely dominated with three and outs and time of possession and, and getting outgained and outscored by your opponent, when you look at the point differential – Go look at the point differential for the Steelers, who have a 7-6 and six record somehow. In pretty much every other team with the winning record, the Steelers are like the only one with a negative point differential, and it's substantial. It's a stark difference compared to pretty much every other team in the NFL with an above 500 record. Hey, I want to ask you, too. So last week... We saw the Colts matchup with the Bengals, and Jake Browning was coming off a great Monday night game and a win in Jacksonville, and they did a lot of the screen game stuff, and and really it was something that the Colts didn't step up with Gus Bradley and stop, and they had a pick six in the second quarter. Everybody thought maybe that was a turning point, and then the Bengals in the second half went right back to the screen game, and the Colts never stopped it. The Steelers offensively take anything away from what they witnessed on tape with the Bengals and how they handled the Colts last week in Cincinnati with their skill position group and their backup quarterback for tomorrow? You would certainly hope so. And just with the style of play in the AFC North, uh, a bully ball of physicality. So take a page from what Cincinnati's doing. And I think Browning's looked pretty good in relief of Joe Burrow this season. So it's just like, you know, do something until you can stop it, until the defense can prove to do that. And, this, that, that's been the most frustrating thing with the Steelers' offense because I could go up and down and name off all their skilled position players. And there are players that have had success in this league at one point or another, whether it's Deontay Johnson, who's a former pro bowler, or George Pickens, who's shown flashes in year two. Uh, I mean, Najee Harris, it probably hasn't been what you wanted as a first-round pick at the running back position, but he's been a pro bowler before. Jalen Warren runs hard. Allen Robinson's a veteran receiver. Fryermuth can win combat catches one-on-one. So if that was successful for Cincinnati, rip a page out of their book to say, hey, it takes the onus and the pressure off Mitch Trubisky for making a lot of reads, a lot of decisions. And if you're able to move the, the, the football effectively and use the screen game almost as an extension of the running game, have at it. I mean, uh, that's to where – I, I hope that the Steelers' offensive staff is doing those things with Eddie Faulkner and Mike Sullivan. But, again, it remains to be seen of, you know, what are the things that they would need to do as the interim OC and as the play caller in a post-Matt Canada world to keep their jobs in the 2024 season? This is their opportunity to do that. And for as crazy as it's been the last two weeks, losing back-to-back games to two and ten teams to both the Cardinals and the Patriots, from the Steelers' standpoint, you can shut all that noise off with a win against the Indianapolis Colts on Saturday. Really quick here for a final thought here. And defensively, T.J. Watt's back. I know Alex Highsmith is back. And you know it at right tackle. Uh, you get a rookie and Jake Freeland in there for Braden Smith. 
How problematic might that end up being for the Colts in your estimation? I'm really happy that you recognize that the right tackle position is where the Steelers consistently line up T.J. Watt off the edge. Most quarterbacks are right-handed in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I also have a theory that, like, right tackles – are a little bit less talented than left tackles. Like coming out of the draft, it's, oh, can he protect the quarterback's blind side? And that's important. But T.J. Watt getting in the face of any quarterback in the league, like he's going to be a matchup nightmare for any starting right tackle, let alone a rookie. So I'd imagine he'll get a lot of attention. He's someone you've got the game plan for with other tight ends, chipping off the edge, running back uh, on the right-hand side of the quarterback to help the, the right tackle out. Um T.J. Watt, when healthy, he's as good as the defensive player as there is in the NFL. So, yeah, I'd imagine it would be very problematic regardless of who's lined up across from him. Like game difference-making opportunities for T.J. Watt coming up tomorrow. No doubt about that. Mark Bergen for the Believe Podcasting Network. You can check out his work again. That's at Believe Network and at Mark Bergen underscore on social media, on X, the former Twitter, if you want to check out his work regarding the Steelers. Mark, I appreciate your time. Enjoy that game coming up tomorrow, and uh, we'll see which loser ends up going home in this case, I guess. Huh? So, wow. I love it. I love it, and we'll have to do it sometime at, at St. Elmo's, the shrimp cocktail. Like I said, if I can instill any wisdom on your listeners, the shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo, life-changing. My brother, appreciate you. Enjoy the game tomorrow. You too. Thanks for having me. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Pilots. You get all that going on tomorrow. And then the Pacers go back to back tomorrow night in Minneapolis against the best team so far in the West, the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. The first of that back to back in D.C. against one of the worst across the NBA landscape. Maybe some nights looks like the absolute worst, the Washington Wizards. That's tonight for the Pacers. Tony East, Locked On Pacers, WTHR, SI, and more joins us to talk about that. Tony, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, good to be here. Excited for the Pacers back-to-back against the two most opposite teams in the league this weekend. <laughs> Best and worst defense. Well, and let's just face it. I mean, you add it kind of adds to the weirdness of the week so far. I mean, you get the crappy (laughs) of the crappiest on on Monday, and then whatever took place. You know, it's so funny. You go back to Wednesday night, Tony, and this is how I framed this up yesterday. You get beat by 14. A franchise record for Giannis is 64, which I would have to think for your defense is pretty mammothly embarrassing. But with the way with the way that the Bucks, one of the favorites of the NBA, acted and certainly I thought gave a lot of credence to why teams should look at the Pacers and think, wow, this is up and coming. I thought after the game was most important and again framing up how the Pacers are growing and maturing right before our eyes. I took more stock into that than I even did in that loss, which most days I'd be highly critical. But I just thought the way that the Bucks acted, you saw the level of importance in that matchup. And, you know, ultimately that's a good thing for the Pacers. 
Yeah, clearly Milwaukee took it very seriously, right? Both mm-hmm. the revenge factor and the fact that it's a team that you know is good and ascending in their division. You know, the the thing that actually stood out to me in a similar way to you about that is after the game, some people I know who cover the Bucks were tweeting that that was one of the Bucks' best wins of the season, right? Like, who knew the yeah, Pacers right? had ascended to the level where beating the Pacers is suddenly a good win, right? So, to me, that stood out a lot. And clearly, they, they were ready for that game between everything, right? Two Pacers wins, Tyrese pointing at his watch, everything. And it became way more with the game ball and Giannis going crazy. But I think that says a lot about where the Pacers are and where they're headed. The fact that the Bucks were so amped about that result in, you know, early December. Are there any NBA investigations going on to what actually happened behind the scenes, or has that whole situation from Wednesday now been put to bed? I reached out and didn't get a response on anything. I mean, I'd imagine if, you know, people are getting elbowed in the ribs, certainly they're looking into something and trying to figure out what ball went where and what led to what, because you know, that is something the league certainly doesn't want to happen after a game. I mean, that was so fast. He ran down the tunnel. I mean, that's alarming almost if you're the NBA to see that sort of reaction. And it was already a very chippy game. So I, I can't imagine it's completely over, but at the same time, I, I don't think it warrants the longest investigation of all time either. So what do you think? The next time I have Chad Buchanan on, I'll say, Hey, Go back to that Wednesday in Milwaukee. So how badly did you get your ass whipped? Should I start there? <laughs> Maybe ask him where his favorite place to get ribs is or something like that. <laughs> it was so funny. And here's the other thing. I don't believe I have seen anybody from Milwaukee own the fact that one of their knobs ended up grabbing the ball in the first place. Right. right. I don't think I've yeah, read, read or seen that anywhere. One of their directors of security, I think, just from watching some of the videos about it. I haven't confirmed exactly what that man's job title is myself, but that is at least what it seems like the person is who jogged onto the floor and grabbed it right after the game. And, you know, it's impossible without video of the entire floor after the game to see what ball goes where and who grabs what. So it's just speculation. It all seems like just a thousand misunderstandings in a row. But the only video we have of someone grabbing the game ball is a Bucks official. So uh, that certainly is fascinating in the context of what actually ended up happening because it sure seems like the Bucks didn't think that they had that ball. Yeah, and, and I, I know that he got yeah, a flagrant for it, but, I mean, that, that whole forearm shiver and a lean into Halliburton, you know, in which Marcus Johnson referenced, you know, he was flopping or whatever. I mean, that's – that's not a basketball-related move right there. It just seems like that with all that in mind, the only only ownership that those clowns in Milwaukee took was the fact that Giannis scored 64, and that was probably the biggest phony of them all. Because, I mean, how they left him in there basically the entire time, brought him back so he could score that 64 against Oscar Shibway. So if you're looking yeah. at phony, if you're looking at wannabe, that 64, you know, at least the end result of it, getting past 60 was phony and wannabe. I'm actually good with that. You know, we just went through all this with the in-season tournament of all these teams throwing a fit about their opponents running up the score and stuff. I'm like, play the game, man. It's 48 minutes. Like, defend somebody, have some pride. And I get that it was going against the Pacers' third unit, so maybe that takes away a little bit for it, but – I'm all about if the Bucks are willing to risk the injury, with he is kind of dumb. I think they were up 20, but 
beyond that, if they're willing to leave him in and let him score, go for it, right? Force the Pacers to stop you. And then those guys went on a run, right? What, they cut it to nine or ten in that final couple minutes, right? So they had to bring him back in. I kind of thought that was a cool part of it, even though, of course, people are going to say, oh, that's, that, you know, the dunk with 26 seconds yeah. left. That's the one that I'm kind of like, okay, that's kind of breaking the, <laughs> you already have the record. But I was cool with him playing in and going for it. I think that was kind of cool. You, you like the you like the uh, flexing and the uh, mean mugging and all that, <laughs> that too. That. that last the last basket was a little much. Even I'll admit that. <laughs> it, isn't it how funny you look back at Giannis and how you felt about him prior to that game, and then now I'm assuming a lot of people, at least Pacer fans, readjusted that thought to how you think about him now. Pretty interesting. Y- yeah, he, he's kind of always had moments like that, you know, but never with the Pacers specifically. So I think that certainly them beating him twice mattered and, you know, take it to him. Yeah, he, you know, to see him have that kind of reaction and in that setting was pretty surprising in a moment like that. And, like, the Pacers have done this before, right? I was talking to Kendall Brown today. He's got the game ball from his first point. Gabe York's got it. Dwayne Washington's got it. Like, it's a thing they do. This isn't just some – made up in the moment thing. So for him to be that opposed to that part of it too, I just thought it was all very surprising. And then Damian Lillard has to keep in mind what he said after the game last Thursday, when he had mentioned after that semifinal loss and the whole Dame time thing with Halliburton, that while they didn't have any hard feelings, which clearly they did, by the way, but they didn't have any hard feelings that you're going to have to own stuff when teams come back on you. So if there's an opportunity and the Pacers want to play that way to the Bucs, and the Bucs are going to have to sit there and take it. That's exactly what Lillard said last week regarding that situation, and, um, and certainly was escalated on Wednesday night in Milwaukee. Well, and the Dame part of it, is the, that was the most ridiculous thing. I think more people should talk about this. The fact that Giannis on the podium said he was so intent on getting the game ball because Dame went into fifth place and made threes. I'm like, what? Fifth place and made threes? We don't, that's, not a, that's not like a big celebration. Like, it's cool, but we don't need to stop the game and get the game ball for that. Like, I get that you're happy for your teammate, and that's a cool accomplishment. Reggie Miller's next in front of him, but come on. Like, come on. <laughs> what are we doing? So Tony East with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You got the Pacers in Washington later on tonight. So was it a coincidence that after that game, James Johnson was signed by the Pacers or re-signed in this case, or was he brought in to fly off the bench and whip somebody's ass? What, what, what are we doing here? What's happening? Usually, usually these things don't come together that fast. I haven't actually confirmed this for sure, but I can't imagine they, they woke up the next day and said, we need James Johnson now, and then we knew, we knew by 10 a.m. But, like, they, yeah. so they've talked about him glowingly for years, right? Daniel Smith on Media Day was like, we're going to this guy. And I talked to some of the Pacers 2A guys today. Like, they loved him last year. They all called him OG, such a valuable vet for them, right? Like, they don't have anyone like that anymore on their team. Like, Buddy Heald is – 31 McConnell's 31 everyone else is younger than 30 they have they don't have a guy like that who's played for a bunch of organizations and is just so tough like the athletic ran that survey last year and the question of the player you'd least like to fight in the NBA and James Johnson was like the runaway winner right like that kind of guy is valuable to them and so bringing that back before they play the Bucks two more times and remember like they go to Memphis next week they had that scuffle with them Jaws going to be back yeah 
lot of a lot of potentially off-court high-intensity games coming. So not a bad time to have him back. Certainly, that's for sure. Yeah, either that or yeah, you don't go don't 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 go down and get into your bus. I guess the same time as the entourage in Memphis is getting into whatever vehicle they're climbing into as of last time down there. Tony East joins us. I just I found the timing incredibly interesting. Now I will say this, and I don't get this from James Johnson, but I do think that the Pacers are in need. Of, enforcers probably too strong of the word, but some stronger on the floor hard ass presence. Now the problem is, I mean, when's James Johnson ever going to be on the floor? So <laughs> right. my thought when I brought that up prior to that signing was a guy like PJ Tucker, who clearly is not happy in his role um, out in in LA and and wants it someplace else, and could add to that while also getting some clock and adding a little bit of something. The only thing that wouldn't jive, I don't think, with it with me is the fact that, you know, I, I don't know at this pace if you could ever play him because I don't know when the last time if ever he played at that pace. But do, the Pacers, do they need something like that occasionally on the floor, that presence? I, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's a good argument to make. And, like, I think you're right about the critical part of it being on the floor, right? Like, yeah, there's an element of toughness you can bring to a locker room and to a bench, but actually playing, like, it's more contagious and it's more of, like, an actual feeling, if that makes any sense. They haven't had a guy like that playing a ton in, in a little bit. And, you know, Lance kind of brought it at times before. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting skill. Like, P.J. Tucker certainly has it, but he's such a zero on offense these days, right? Like, he doesn't shoot it at all anymore. He can't move, but – his defense would be helpful. So I agree that on the floor especially would be significant for them, and a lot of those tougher guys are by default a little bigger, (laughs) which is valuable. Then they just have no size, but it's hard. Like, those guys are valuable for a reason, and, you know, James at least gives them something, and that's fine because right now they were pretty low on that total it's Tony East. He covers the Pacers. Locked on Pacers. WTHRSI. It's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So the Pacers' first of two consecutive. Back to back, they start in D.C. tonight. Like, people laugh at me because I say must win all the time, right? And I've <laughs> tagged this with a must win. You've got four bad home losses that you're still trying to make up for. You lose this tonight, there's another one. You To a team at this level – you cannot lose to them if you're the Pacers, especially going into a back-to-back situation with the Timberwolves tomorrow. You believe that? Yeah, they're on a runway for bad losses, right? And, you know, they, they, they've kind of given themselves more wiggle room because they have so many, not maybe not upsets, but like, you know, wins that they weren't expected to get. But, you know, that's what stood out to me during this early stretch, right? Like, Portland, Toronto, Chicago, and Charlotte. If they had just lost two of those, right, that happens. Like, last year the Pacers were so banged up and they beat Golden State and the Lakers in, like, a three-day span on the road. Like, upsets do happen when you're significantly undermanned, but four of them in a month was kind of, like, alarming, and you were completely run out of of leeway or wiggle room to have those kind of nights. So now every time the Pacers play these – Detroit, Washington, Portland, all, all those crummy teams that I just talked about, like they have to win them now. They, they don't have the margin of error to lose them and still kind of have the record they want. And sure, again, they've built it up with 
some upset wins. But imagine if that was, you know, if they didn't lose some of those games, they could be in like third in the East right now. They've talked about that, and that's not like a fair way to look at it, but they can't afford to lose these games anymore now. The Wizards are completely terrible, and the Pacers could – like the over-under for this game is like 260, John. I mean, it's crazy that yeah. how much the Pacers could score tonight. Um, and that's good for them. they got a great matchup, but they cannot afford to let the Wizards get on track. They can't afford to lose it. They just – They've lost all the leeway to do that with how they started the season. Jordan Poole playing tonight? <laughs> he is questionable. I'm not actually sure. Actually, him playing is probably better for the Pacers. Yeah, so, uh, probably <laughs> is, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Hey, and, and fast forward, too, because uh, you, know, you look at Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert, uh, and the like that they have on that Minnesota team that's in the, the one hole right now, a bit of a surprise out west. Will they be missing anybody? Coming up tomorrow night, I think they won last night and they're off tonight, right? So yeah. they play tomorrow night? Yeah, they won in Dallas last night. They've been a little banged up. I think Ants missed some time, but he was back. I think he was three for 19 in their win last night. Like the fact that they were able to overcome that's pretty important. Main guys, Ant, Cat, Gobert, Mike Conley, any guy, they're all healthy. And, it, and here are the teams that have given the Pacers trouble this season, right? The Lakers, the Magic, the Celtics. What do they all have in common? One of the best defenses in the league. Well, Minnesota is up there. They might be number one. So, that, I mean, it is just wild how different Washington and Minnesota are for the Pacers this weekend. Timberwolves are going to be – they're huge, and they're really good on defense. That's about as tough of a matchup as the Pacers can get. They've got to be lights out on offense on Saturday. Hey, Tony, a lot of people – Obviously, especially in the last week when they were out in Vegas, nationally brought up what the Pacers could do to escalate their chances, their opportunities to win this year. And, you know, now they're mentioned in, you know, the garden variety of deals that we have heard over the past couple of months now. What do you think? Will they end up doing something before the trade deadline here? Or might this just be a lot of talk that as an end result doesn't materialize? They're a fascinating team because they have extra picks. They have a lot of depth, some of which that isn't even playing, and they're good, right? So naturally, I think they fit the profile of a buyer, especially right now with a good record. But the way the NBA is kind of set up now with the play-in being kind of attainable for a lot of teams and the 2024 draft is not thought of as very good, there's not a lot of sellers, right? There's just not a lot of – obvious stuff out there to go get to upgrade your team and there will be some right but because it won't be that much the price will be high for those things so it's going to be interesting for the Pacers and how they evaluate themselves they have a pretty tough and by pretty tough I mean really tough January schedule it's their hardest month right so if they come out of that time with about a week before the trade deadline and they still love their record and you know they're going to have a high floor with Tyrese Halbert and then maybe they think yeah let's go get the best player that we can that's available. We've got the resources to do it. We believe we can keep anybody, you know, with our cap space and our brilliant recruiting teammate, Halliburton, out here. That makes some sense to me. But if they are, you know, 500-ish after a tough stretch or they actually do start dealing with more significant injuries, like missing Jalen Smith and Nemhard right now has hurt them, then maybe they aren't in a position to be that kind of team. And I think they would learn a lot from making the postseason with a lot of the young guys they currently have, just seeing what skills make sense, what the team could need. And so maybe they don't need to make this giant, splashy move right now. And going too early is hurt teams, right? We saw Dallas get Chris Tapps Porzingis really early in Luka's career, and now they haven't had picks or assets to trade 
for a really great player for years. And like they might, this is their team that they have right now for basically the next four or five years of Luka Doncic, right? The, the Hawks did this with DeJounte Murray. You know, they, they don't have enough assets to make their team better anymore, despite a conference finals run a few years ago. So there is harm to going too early and having less stuff to trade when your team is ascending. So I think the Pacers would like to know where they're at come early February, because there is good sense in, in adding a little bit of talent, especially if they feel like they can make some noise in the postseason. But it's got to be the right time, and they've got to know that, you know, they're headed down that path in the first place. Likely it doesn't make a lot of sense coming from Siakam and Anobi. And then Bobby Marks brought up to me a little bit earlier this week, Paul George and a possible return. Does any of that stuff make sense to you whatsoever? Seriously? I mean, here's the thing with, I think Siakam and Anobi are awesome fits. You know, the, the, the contract status for both of them is interesting because they're both expiring. And we heard from Adrian Wojnarowski last week on ESPN that, you know, the Pacers think they could resign some of those guys. Or at least that's what he reported. And, you know, they'll have the money to keep anybody. They've believed in Halliburton's ability to recruit. If they think they can resign those guys, it makes sense. They're talented and, and, and in Obi's case, kind of young and on a similar timeline to the Pacers' contention. But, you know, like a Paul George type on the decline of his stardom, although he's still extremely good. I mean, Paul George is an incredible fit with the Pacers, right? Like he is – almost the, the perfect snug fit for what their team is and is going to. It's just what kind of value is he going to have for them long-term? Are the Pacers ready to get that guy right now? Are, are, if, you know, if they are top three in the East come February 1st, maybe. I mean, is he even available? Why would the Clippers trade him away? But, you know, the, the, yeah. those names all make sense in some way, but it kind of depends on where the Pacers are and where the Raptors are and what the price is. And that's true for every trade, certainly. But in their case specifically, so early in their build, Halbert under contract for six more seasons, including this one, they have wiggle room to be patient and not do something just to do something. What do you you're looking ahead here and you look at January and that tough schedule that you bring up? Man, how well how well do you expect this Pacer team to navigate that? You know, it's interesting because, like, I run through the schedule the minute it comes out and try my best to, like, look at all the back-to-backs and look at the travel and say, you know, what's going to be really tough for them? (laughs) You look at January, it's like there's no, hardly any, at least, easy nights. Like, don't they start with Milwaukee twice and then Washington and then Boston twice right after that? Yeah, well, they got got one at one, the first and the third with Milwaukee. In Milwaukee and then back at home, yeah. And then they got a West Coast swing in there, and one of those is the Denver-Utah altitude back-to-back, which is, like, as hard as that can possibly get. Like, it's just so brutal. Now, the thing is, before the season, you know, the, the Pacers' ceiling was thought to be lower than it seemingly is, right? They've already beaten a ton of good teams. Clearly, they can beat anybody, basically. I mean, beating Boston, beating Milwaukee twice, beating the Heat, the Cat. Like, they've beaten so many good teams already that, yeah, I feel like they can – beat anybody so come january would it surprise me if they had a good month or went 500 against good competition no not at all they've proven that they can hang with these teams but it also wouldn't surprise me if a young team gets to that month and stumbles a little bit and things get tough for them and they've got to start looking for some solutions or figure out how they can play a little better just because of how tough the schedule is the travel is like they talked about their first 16 games being home heavy and and taking advantage of that and they did a mostly good job but they could have done better. They said that themselves. So January being before the trade deadlines, I think a good blessing for the Pacers because it's a great evaluation month, right, going against those level of teams because if you do want to be a winner and be a contender, you got to beat those teams 
and at least somewhat consistently. So we'll learn a lot about uh, the Pacers here in a few weeks once January gets going because it does, it, I mean, it's like every night tough opponents or back-to-backs or on the road or something. It's tough. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong. The last time they did that dreaded mountain back-to-back with Denver and Utah, I think in Utah, Salt Lake City that night, Miles and Gobert got in a fight, did they not? That's, was that the I last time? You're, you're correct. And you remember the next night, Jokic was suspended, and they lost to the Nuggets. Yes. It's yes. Just, that's, just, that's as hard as it gets from, like, the toll on your body. And I hate to make that excuse, like, they're NBA players, they're in phenomenal shape, but every player talks about how hard it is, and, like, teams try to – have like a little bit of a harder practice there if they can just to like prep for getting your win. Like it is truly really tough. And you can see it in the home road splits for Utah and Denver every year. Having those on back-to-back nights is, is always tough. And the Pacers, you're right, have had it before with the Gobert Miles uh, light boxing match, we'll say, from back then. I, I got to take a break here, James is telling me. But really quick, and this may end up being yes or no out of you, Tony. I, I saw where Larry marketing out of Utah – you know, they said first they weren't going to trade him, and now there's rumors that, you know, maybe he's going to be on the market. Would there be any level of interest for a scorer and a bigger guy um, that plays both inside and out in marketing from a Pacer standpoint? There should be. He is phenomenal. I mean, that dude can make a shot. He, he is not a great defensive player, but he can make any shot and fits snugly positionally with the Pacers. I mean, if they can get him, they should at least look into it. He's a terrific player. I appreciate you, man. Have a great weekend. Enjoy that game tonight. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. We'll catch up again next week, Tony. Thank you. Yep, you got it. Thanks for having me. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline is brought to you by the 14 Central Indiana Joe Childers Run, CarX locations, CarX.com today. It is the always enjoyable, the incredibly jovial Bob Level. Hello, Bob. How are you? <laughs> jovial. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jovial <today>. indeed. <laughs> Let me tell you this. I know you are because there is so much going on around here. I just yeah. documented with a dude from the NFL Network. How much is going on, even past, you know, talking about the Steelers and the Colts tomorrow, but collegiately, you know, Kansas and IU and Bloomington, Indiana State, Ball State, the first of two, Nightcap, Arizona and Purdue, downtown tomorrow, Gambers Fieldhouse with the Indy Classic. I mean, and then you look at the college basketball schedule across the nation. You get UConn and Gonzaga later on tonight in Seattle. This is a hellaciously awesome sports weekend, especially magnified around here. Well, I think it is, John. I mean, I think, you know, you, you know, with the, just with the IU and Purdue and their matchups, uh, everyone uh, rightfully so cares about those. Uh, and those are two, those are going to be great games. Um, doesn't get much better than that, quite frankly. Uh, and I think the other part of it too, is that, you know, with us, you've got one of those weekends where you have Pacers, Pacers are at home, Colts are at home, college basketball in town. Uh, you, you begin to start to put it all together. And then around their state, you have another hot weekend of high school basketball. So, um, yeah, this is a great weekend for a lot of reasons, quite frankly. So you get IU and Kansas coming up tomorrow. That's number two Kansas. That's a 1230 tip in Bloomington. 
Um, I assume that is going to be 1130 gathering uh, downstairs on 93 WIBC for the broadcast. And Don Fisher joins us later. I saw where Mike Woodson kind of bristles now when people that cover the team ask him about the three-point shooting. And he says, hey, we take <laughs> enough. We just need to, we need to make more. Right. And right. Well, I, I, I understand that. I, I, think everybody, I think everybody understands that they do need to make more. Is this, is this a team that can get better if they don't find a niche from somebody, anybody from distance, which seemingly we've seen so far this year, Bob, it doesn't look like that they have that. I mean, there are times when you think maybe right. somebody is right. capable, but then they give you more times when they prove to you that they're probably not. Is that something this team offensively and Mike Woodson can find with this group? I think they've got to – I think they can. Uh, and clearly to this point they haven't shot the ball well. What you have to do, you know, is I, I think when you're in that type of situation, um, you got to start to create some more things defensively, try and get easier hoops. You, you know what I mean? You have to – you can't just put all the pressure on your guys to knock down behind three. Maybe you run some different action to get the right guys outside of three. Uh, and I think you just continue in practice to get up as many shots and reps as you can and try to be – it's one of those uh, conundrums, John, that you find yourself in you know, as a coach. You know, We're not shooting the ball well from three. Everyone knows it. They don't need to be reminded of it. You walk into the gym every day. You read the uh, internet every day. You talk to people. They're all telling you how bad you are from three. And you hear all that, and it does wear on your mind a little bit. And so you're trying to figure out ways that you can free your minds individually and collectively and get a little bit better. Uh, I, I'm always a believer that try to score as easy as you can, try to score as often, obviously, as you can. And the best way to do that is I think everyone would agree defensively they're not nearly where they need to be. And so – I'd focus there, focus on getting better, focus on getting getting some steals, getting some rebounds, some plenty of one-and-out possessions, and get out and run and try to put some things up on the board. Just got to continue to, to believe in your guys that they can make shots, but you got to find different ways to win games rather than rely on knocking down three. I guess, and Bob Lovell joins us, brought to you by your 14 Central Indiana CarX locations, CarX.com, to make sure you're winter road ready today. The most disappointing aspect, I would have to think this if I were a player and you're going through a struggle from distance, for example, in this case, is when you don't get any sort of respect from the opposition's defense. Not only do they don't they don't close (laughs) out hard, they barely close out and they want you to take that. That that to me, when you're not guarded and you shoot and you don't make it, it just magnifies the basketball depression you can get in by that thing not going down. And, you know, what that does, it, it, it feeds, it builds into your lack of confidence. Right. And then, right. as you've seen as a coach before, what it does, it just is an avalanche. It just steamrolls down the hill into more of the negative and really makes that offensive situation worse. Well, it's easy for me to say, easy for you to say, and, you know, give them a reason why they ought to close you out and give them a reason why they ought to guard you behind three. But to this point, yeah. you, know, you haven't been faced with that. And, and, again, I just think that, you know, everyone collectively has to think positively and have to get that, uh, you know, re- redirect their minds. So much of this is on the mental side of the game. 
And, um, you know, you're a shooter. You understand it. That's that's what you hang you used to hang your hat on down in Eastern Green was your ability to make shots. And so when you were in a slump, what did you do? You, 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 you know what you did? You got extra reps. You, you did different things. Maybe you try to get different action for different people and get them outside the arc. Um, but, again, you got to go back. When you're, when you're challenged like this, John, go back to your fundamentals. Go back to your core principles of what you're about. And and that has to be the foundation for what you're going to go through. And so, you know, if it, as it stays, this is how they are right now. The only way to get people to come out and guard you and the only way to pick up some wins is to uh, continue to battle through it and uh, clearly playing some of the wrong teams right now. And Kansas is not a, a team that, that allows you to get out and get great looks at the hoop anyway. So uh, it will be a challenge for them tomorrow, no question. Bob Lovell of Indiana Sports Talk tonight, tomorrow night's got you covered across the state of Indiana. The affiliated stations of Network Indiana. Again, Bob's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I want to get to number one versus number three in a second, but you start out tomorrow at Cambridge Fieldhouse for the Indy Classic yeah. with, with Ball State at Indiana State. Michael Lewis, the squad's a two-loss team so far. Meantime, Josh Schertz's team, their lone loss is to top 25 Alabama. What do you make of both of those teams to this point in the season? And I've talked to both coaches this week, incredibly excited about the environment and the stage in which they're going to play to open up that at Gambridge Fieldhouse tomorrow. But what do you think about the seasons to date for both? Well, I think both of them had great starts. I think everyone would would agree with that. And, and I think it's exciting because, you know, we tend to uh, focus on IU and Purdue in terms of collegiate basketball in our state. And so, you know, they, these are two schools with some Indiana kids, a lot of Indiana favor, lots of alums, lots of, you know, like you and, and others from Ball State and Indiana State. So when these two are playing well, I think it's great for everyone. And it. It's a, it's a bonus for basketball in our state. These are two teams uh, I think are greatly coached. These are two really dynamic and successful, relatively young coaches that people need to pay an awful lot of attention to. You know, uh, Michael Lewis's guys have gotten better. Josh Schertz, I think, might be one of the great uh, turnarounds in college basketball in recent years because, unfortunately, your alma mater had fallen on hard times and were, having, were struggling to win games on a consistent basis, and, and right now they're going to challenge for a, a, a Valley championship. And so, you know, two teams that spread you out, two teams, especially Indiana State, not afraid to shoot the three. Both teams have done great jobs to this point defensively and have gotten them where they are. And so this shapes up to be a tremendous basketball game to start the day at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. All right, Bob, I mentioned number one versus number three, Arizona and Purdue is that second game that tips at 430. All you got to do is kind of look at the records and the rankings and nothing else needs to be said. If you're looking for a battle of early season Titans, December Titans, this is it. What do you like about that matchup as you size it up? Well, I just like the fact that, that Purdue's going to have to go out and play against a team that's enormously talented, uh, a great front line that'll challenge Zach Eady and others, and quick enough on the perimeter to put pressure uh, on the Purdue guards. And so how well will Purdue react to, to the athleticism that they're going to face defensively and whether or not they're – and this is the age-old story for them right now – the perimeter guys have to step up because you expect Zach Eady to be Zach Eady. And so what will your perimeter guys bring to this? And they'll get challenged. They'll get challenged on each possession 
by uh, Arizona tomorrow. I don't think there's any question. So this is one of those barometer-type games, John. And here you are. You're in December. You've, you've won games, most of the games you're supposed to win. But you're, you, this will be the best team they've played to this point. So you'll get, a, I think, a real glimpse of what this Purdue group is all about right now. Yeah, you got five guys in double figures for Arizona, led by Caleb Love, uh, a tad under 15 per game, and then obviously uh, Zach Eady playing, you know, coming off winning National Player of the Year, playing at a very high level once again, 25 and nearly 11 rebounds per four in double figures for the Boilermakers. Just um, really good matchups in terms of how sometimes, I mean, you, you get. I mean, you really get two interesting philosophies coming together tomorrow. Well, you do. I mean, you, you, and, and I think both of them are, are, even though they're different, here's the similarity. They'll yep. guard you. They'll guard you. Uh, Arizona trying to maybe make it a little more up-tempo if they can than Purdue. But um, fundamentally, both are extremely well-grounded in how to win, what to do. And once again, the game's played above the rim. However, you really have to have your perimeter guys dialed in, knocking down shots, because Arizona can do that. So Bob Lovell of Indiana Sports Talk, you got everybody covered. you got a busy high school Friday and Saturday, too. So there is a ton going on for you to cover tonight and tomorrow night. So have a great time, as always. And like I said, if you need me, you can call me. I'm doing uh, little to nothing again on this Saturday. Got a couple more Saturdays before we fire it back up. Uh, it's good to know we have you in the bullpen when we need you. It <laughs> makes, makes me rest easy at night. Hey, man. Have a, a great Friday and Saturday. Thanks, Enjoy John. the sports weekend, Bob. We'll talk next week. Thanks for, thanks for having me, John. Thanks. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Tomorrow is going to be just absolutely action-packed. And joining us to talk about part of that, actually, it's what officially gets that day tomorrow underway at 1230. 11.30 pregame coverage with us. Coming up tomorrow morning, Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, is prepping right now, I'm assuming, for a high-ranked Kansas and an IU gathering down at Bloomington's Assembly Hall. How you doing, Don? Good, John. How about yourself? You know what? Tomorrow, it's interesting, just across the sports landscape here locally, is exactly what we love most of the time about December because there's absolutely everything going on. Love it. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening. There's no question about that. Purdue's got a big one this weekend. We've got a big one this weekend. Colts got a big one this weekend. Pacers, you know, it's all going on. Hey, Indiana State, Ball State tomorrow, T. You got uh, the fighting Michael Lewis's down here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. <laughs> I'm sorry. As I told him earlier this week, Mr. Dubois County, 1994, that Michael exactly. Lewis, that one. Exactly. <laughs> um, how, are you, how are you, and maybe even more so from talking to Mike Woodson, what, what's the IU approach with Kansas coming in tomorrow afternoon, Don? Well, obviously, there's a lot of disappointment from last week's performance against Auburn, and that's why I've got feeling that 
Indiana will at least turn that part of it around and it will be a fight tomorrow. I believe that. And I think Kansas is really good, as they always are. Uh, Hunter Dickinson added to that group out there. with, uh, but, but they're not a deep team, and they're going to be playing five guys most of the ball game. Uh, that may be good. It may be bad. We don't know yeah. how that's going to work out. But there's only one loss on their schedule so far. That was to Marquette. Uh, and, and they've played everybody tough, uh, and obviously they've won every other ball game that they've played this year. And Bill Self, as you know, is one of the best coaches in the country, uh, without question. So it's going to be a challenge. I don't think there's any question that Indiana is capable of winning this ball game, but I also think that they're capable of not playing or playing like they did last week, which they proved to us. And that's what I'm most concerned about. Will they come out with that aggressive attitude? And even when they get popped in the mouth, will they get back up and fight like crazy? And that's that's what it'll take because this is going to be a challenge, no question. So Don Fisher joins us. You're absolutely right about that because they started the game, I thought, in Atlanta against Auburn last Saturday. They started it as well as you would want. And then when you reference when they got popped in the mouth – they just weren't resilient, and no. that had to be as disappointing as anything else that transpired in that day. Well, that's exactly right. That, that to me, was the most disappointing aspect of the whole game. It was that Indiana, they just they looked like they were stunned by the fact that uh, Auburn all of a sudden got aggressive and hard-nosed and tough and played them physically, and they just didn't respond to it. And, and there's no excuse Obviously, this team, if they're going to be any good this year, they're going to have to respond because I do believe that this this conference this year is nowhere near what it has been. I think the conference is down in the sense that everybody's dealing with the same kind of thing. Nobody seems to have a real grip on uh, what they're trying to do at this point because of all the new faces and uh, on so many of these teams' programs. Um, and without question, I, everybody kind of looks the same to me, with the exception of probably Purdue, maybe Wisconsin, possibly Illinois. But I think I don't. I don't think this league this year just doesn't appear to me to be as strong as it has been in the past. And that's a good thing from Indiana's perspective because if Indiana can take advantage of it and win these ball games that are fifty-fifty contests, which I think most of these games will be this year then they're going to be uh, have a chance to really finish high in the conference standings. We'll just have to wait and see on that. But uh, we certainly didn't see what we wanted to see last week against Auburn, and that has to be turned around tomorrow. You know, it's funny about that, too. Don Fisher joins us. As you, you've already seen that Michigan team. we got a road win against them. And you know, part of the reason beyond having just a uh, nutty head coach is the fact that they lose Hunter Dickinson to the transfer portal. And I'll be damned if you don't get to see him coming up tomorrow again. <laughs> least the dude can do is go someplace else, not on the schedule. Yeah, you'd, th- you'd think he'd have some concern for us. But <laughs> yes, no. exactly. No. And clearly he does not. Yeah, and, and that, that – uh, it, it is funny to watch them play because they look as good as ever. But in, in, I think it speaks to what you just said about these teams all kind of feeling themselves out in November and December because there is just such a stark changeover from year to year now with the transfer portal and NIL and all this stuff that's going on that it just naturally takes longer. And and even though they have a good record in their second rank, you have seen at times Kansas trying to, like every other team, feel themselves out with what they have and have that mesh with what was already here. 
Exactly. And, and that's, that's why I say tomorrow's game is really, it's not a toss-up game because obviously Kansas is going to be heavily favored. But if they get into, come into Assembly Hall and Indiana shows them what they have been capable of in that building uh, against some of the best teams in the country, uh, Indiana is going to give a great showing. And, and that's what I'm hoping for tomorrow because this team, I think, has the ability to do that. If I didn't think they did, uh, that I would be giving up the ship already at this point in the season. But I just yeah. think they have enough talent. I think they've got enough good players and guys that can get it done if they put it all together that this team can be very solid and very strong as the season progresses and you know, maybe play their best basketball at the end of this year. But, but like I said right now, you can't get that feel because we haven't had in the two ball games that you would say that that, that would you, you'd have an indication we we haven't played very well in either one the UConn game being the other. So Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, IU and Kansas tomorrow from Bloomington. Tip time is at twelve thirty. Of course, pregame show coverage is at eleven thirty. And and I mentioned Hunter Dickinson, and I'm assuming you're going to get a matchup with with he and Khalil Ware, the uh, two bigs for both teams. The thing about Dickinson is. There are times that I watch him, and it looks like he forces himself. He really wants to take threes, and I don't know when he does that at times, if it's for the betterment of the team around him or if it's to showcase his individual skill of being able to step out. It always seems like sometimes he gets caught up in that in-between. All right, this may not be what's best for the team, but I need to show that if they're going to give me this room, I can stroke this three. I kind of wonder how that matchup is going to go tomorrow. Well, I think it's going to be a very interesting one because they're both 7'2", or at least uh, that's, you know, we're, we're told that yeah. that Khalil is 7' foot, but I, some people think he's 7'2". Well, you know, with that little puff of hair up top, he might be 7'2". <laughs> <laughs> For sure, sure. But but these guys are going to look – they're going to be at, they're going to be looking one another in the eye. And uh, so it's going to be a very interesting matchup in that situation. But on the other side of it, Hunter Dickinson by far and away has the more experience – uh, he's, he's played big guys before. He's had to deal with, uh, you know, Zach Eady and people like that. Uh, so he's going to have, by far and away, the most experience to draw from in this matchup. And just got to be able to hang in there, kind of tread water in regard to Dickinson himself. And if he can do that, then I think Indiana gives themselves a chance because I, I still think Malik Renew has been the most improved guy in this basketball team, at least from a scoring perspective. And some of the things that he's doing, I think he's still got to get better in, in rebounding and he's got to be able to handle double teams better. But, but I still think he's made the most progress of anybody from a year ago. And, and I think that big also gives us a chance because the McCullers kid uh, and Adams, the other kid for, for, yeah. uh, for Kansas, both those guys are really talented. And uh, I think McCullers, even though he's listed as a guard, he's got this, he's, he's got the forward size. So I, it's going to be an interesting thing to see what uh, Mike Woodson decides to do on McCullers because I think he might be the key to this ball game if they can keep him contained, along with Dickinson in some fashion. I think they'll have themselves a good chance. Don, I haven't heard and I didn't hear Mike Woodson earlier today. What's uh, the, the news on Xavier Johnson? Is there any? Nothing? Zero? No, uh, there's. <laughs> I don't think that he's going to play tomorrow. I just don't. Yeah. Um, I haven't thought that for some time. Uh, 
I just think that right now they, they've got to deal with not playing with him. They did it last year. They haven't played as well without him so far this season, in my opinion. But, of course, it's early. Uh, and we've seen him against very tough competition since he's gone out. So, But they were able to handle Maryland and Michigan without him. And, and obviously, they played the rest of the Harvard game without him as well. In those ball games that were testers in some respect, uh, I think the, these guys have picked up the pieces, so to speak. But he would be a great help to this basketball team if he was available, especially at the defensive end and perhaps with a three-point shot as well. And, Don, and, and, and it looks like with him being out and all that then falls on the shoulders of Trey, it looks like that I mean, that, that, that affects Trey Galloway and his overall game, I think, a great deal. He, he needs a little bit of help. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's one of the reasons he struggled. Not not the reason he hasn't shot threes well, because he hasn't done that all year long. And I, that's just a confidence thing, in my opinion. But he is certainly capable. And if he breaks out of this thing with a three-point shot ability that he had a year ago and starts knocking him down and gives himself that confidence level that he had last year every time he took one, uh, he can be a real factor in, in helping this basketball team. But uh, you're right. I mean, he needs help out there. As And he's handling that point guard position fairly well when he plays it. But but right now I think he's fighting a confidence thing that's affecting the whole portion of his game. I'm going to tell you, with that atmosphere that's ex- expected that you always get, especially in games like this at Assembly Hall, if this team – and I thought Mike Woodson said this earlier today, and he's right. You know, we take these threes. We just don't make these threes. If you could squeeze out a couple early, I don't care how they go down. If they go down, I think that would do so much for the confidence of these guys and certainly playing off of, as so many, Don, teams have done in the past that you have seen and called the games there that play yeah. off the energy of that crowd. The the early opportunities for this team, especially from distance, if something goes down, that can have, I think, a profound effect throughout that game. I agree. I mean, there's no question. It gets the crowd into it. There's no question about that because when we do make a three, our fans go nuts these days. <laughs> 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 As well, they probably should. But yeah. But the point of the matter is we just haven't done it uh, in any way, shape, or form as consistently as needed. And, uh, in, you know, some other people have to step up. I, I would love to see C.J. Gunn get hot in a ball game because he's knocked down yeah. a couple of games, but he hasn't been – been able to do it consistently, but he has shot the ball better this year than he did a year ago. He's playing more minutes. The other thing about CJ, he leads the team in steals right now. He's in double figures with 13. So in his playing time, which is like double what he did a year ago, he's, I think, averaging almost 14 minutes a game right now. He is doing a tremendous job at the defensive end. And that length that he has, his quickness, his athleticism, uh, and his ability to run the floor have really helped this ball club from a defensive perspective as much as more so, in my opinion, than he, even his offense. He the guy that you're thinking about that we're not really you know, talking about, at least in, a, in the hierarchy of guys that you expect to do something that you would really like to see surprise and consistently do something tomorrow. And if it's C.J. Gunn, who else on this team that you would really like to see step up? I can give you mine. Uh, because well, he's he's so. been there and done that. But like a guy like Anthony Walker, who's athletic, can get up and down the floor, I'd like to see him be a little bit more prominent in his role than he has been, especially in a game like tomorrow. Yeah, I agree with that. But the guy I want to see step up is Mbako. I, I just want to see yeah. this guy 
come to the table and play like expectations have maybe expectations were too big at the beginning, but he's still a talented kid. He's the best shooter on this team. There's no question about that. Uh, He can knock down threes, but he's not done it consistently at this point. But I think he's a talented player and a guy that could really become a factor if he finally gets the confidence level that he needs and a little bit more experience, which, you know, after this ball game, they're going to have three games in non-conference play that are totally winnable ball games and can do some things just from a work perspective and experimental perspective from Woodson's from Woodson's standpoint to to make this team better. And, and I think Mbako's the guy that they've got to get going here if team because I think Walker has done everything you could expect of him, and I agree he could have a little bit bigger role than he's had at this juncture. Yeah. But if there's one guy that they need to really step up and start playing big minutes for this ball club and doing it by scoring and playing at, at, on the rebounding end of it, along with his defensive play, I think it's Mackenzie Mbako. Yeah, and, and and you're absolutely right about that. I, I think about Walker in terms of just you know, pure athleticism and what might work in matchups with a team like this too, and and that environment. I, I just uh, that's that's somebody that kind of that jumps out. But really, it it could be, and you would like it to be anybody, because tomorrow you're going to need all hands on deck. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> hey Don, I, I tell you what, I was thrilled today though. Um, Kurt Signetti, who has has talked a lot in interviews and in social media and continues to do that, I thought maybe this was going to be a foregone conclusion. And even in a disappointing football season, I have been so impressed with Donovan McCulley and what he has accomplished and where he is right now in his career. So impressed with that. And the fact that the new IU football coach gets him out of the transfer portal back into that football program was a hell of a big deal this afternoon. Oh, it's, it's more than that. <laughs> okay. In my opinion. <laughs> I'm sorry I downplayed it. <laughs> in my opinion, that was the one player that Indiana yeah. could not afford to lose. Um, so in my opinion, that's probably the best recruiting job that this man has done in his lifetime in that regard because everybody was after Donovan McCulley. I'm not kidding you. They were all after this guy, and they wanted him in the worst way, Michigan included. And for him to decide to stay at Indiana tells you a lot about Signetti and his ability to sell what he's selling at this point and his ability to get guys to buy into it. And I'm telling you, I am excited about this new football coach at Indiana. There's no question in my mind. No, I completely agree. I just I've loved watching him mature. You know, and, and obviously a former quarterback. I, and I liked watching him play, you know, multi-sport athlete in high school, basketball. You know, thought about basketball here. I, he just – he is fun to watch. But to watch him grow at that position on a team that was disappointing, but for him he has not been. And you're right. I mean, as far as somebody they needed back, he was at the very top of that list. No question. And here's the other thing, too. Uh, the fact that they got the transfer from Ohio University, the quarterback from there. Yeah. It's a, it's a, he's a, got one year of eligibility left to get him to transfer to Indiana uh, with what he's done uh, from a statistical standpoint over the years. Uh, this kid absolutely. And, and, and I would think that's another selling point that why Donovan McCulley decided to stay because uh, yeah, we've got a couple of really, really good freshmen, incoming freshmen that may be just special at this point. 
at some point in time. But you need that veteran out there who's been there, done that, got the T-shirt. And uh, with the kid from Ohio, I think that's going to really help this program as well. That's uh, Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers. Got a busy day coming up tomorrow. What are you doing tonight? Uh, We're staying home tonight. We're going to build a fire in the backyard. What? Yep. At home? Well, we've been gone all week. We went to Yuletide last night. We went to uh, some friends uh, the night before that. So we've been gone. So we're going to stay at home tonight. I thought maybe you'd go Taiwan on tonight in preparation for that early start time tomorrow. Well, no. that, that's what old people old people don't do. That they they don't tie one on the night before something important is going to happen. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well. <laughs> see, I want to be the instigator here, though. I should come over and get your ass and take you someplace, and we both have early start times tomorrow. We'll both get tuned up together. <laughs> You have to understand. <laughs> you don't have to just take me. You got to take my wife. You got to take. Oh yeah. Take the whole family. <laughs> got plenty. Of, I got plenty of room. Plenty of room right there. Oh, no. I uh, I thoroughly enjoy days like tomorrow too. And again, it starts in Bloomington. Eleven thirty. You guys hit coming up tomorrow morning. Correct for the pregame show. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Eleven. I don't want to see. I, I I do not want to hear anything like I heard last week in Atlanta, though. I don't want to hear that. None of that. Trust, trust me. I will try to keep that from happening <laughs> as best I can. <laughs> lordy, lordy, lordy. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, number two Kansas in Bloomington tomorrow versus IU. It's a big one in Bloomington on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, get that bed rest tonight. Get down there and have yourself a blast on the radio tomorrow. I appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me, buddy. You got it. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers.